our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season two of the Life Fantastic podcast, where people with disabilities talk about all things related to disabilities. We're sponsored by Sanchia.org and NeurodiversityConsulting.org. And you can hear us on straight independent radio. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Liza Citron, autistic disabled advocate and future special education teacher, Scott Davis, disabled advocate, writer, and speaker, and Dr. Jeremy Pierce, philosopher, autism parent, and my husband. It's Autism Awareness Month, y'all. April is Autism Awareness Month, and this episode, we are talking about the differences between awareness and acceptance when it comes to autism. Now, for a long time, I have questioned just how beneficial to autistic people awareness is when so many are unaware of what is important to autistic people. So I'm going to start with a question for you all. What do you see as a difference between awareness and acceptance? And Liza, I'll start with you. Well, for one thing, in my opinion, awareness can mean, for, for a lot of people, being aware that we exist, even if they, it doesn't necessarily include being aware of who we are and stopping believing in these stereotypes that are often, um, you know, used against us. And as for acceptance, I mean, that means actually trying to, you know, accept us and make a difference for our lives and actually help us rather than, you know, being performative as we so often see, or a lot of times acceptance is not the goal when we talk about the way neurotypical people see us. Oftentimes, we're expected to look more neurotypical or they're trying to cure us or put us in certain places in society where we're not seen or have opinions of us that diminish us. And that is exactly counter to acceptance. Awareness, yeah, sure, they know we exist, but they don't know about us. They don't know, you know anything about who we are, what we need, and they view us often stereotypically in what they've just heard from the neurotypical world around us. Mm. And that's the issue. That's another issue at lar in large part is accepting us would mean not listening to neurotypicals over our own voices. Accepting us would mean not, lost my train of thought, not trying to get us to act more, more neurotypical or get us not to be seen or acceptance would be having us as we are and not trying to change us and have these expectations of us. And even more so, actually listening to what we have to say about our own experiences rather than trying to turn it around and make it about neurotypical people or make it about their experiences and talking over our experiences. Um, thank you for sharing that. Jeremy, I want to get your perspective. What do you see as the difference between awareness and acceptance when it comes to autism? Well, if you just think about those words themselves, awareness seems to be about information that you learn and understand and, and know um, things, things like uh, being informed, uh, things like knowing differences between different kinds of people and things like that, um, which obviously is necessary if you're going to um, if you're going to be treating people the way you should, you kind of need to know what they're like. So there's, there's something to that. Uh, whereas I think 
acceptance more is your attitude toward them. Acceptance is uh, a, a way of or your stance towards someone, right? You, you are accepting them as a person, uh, as people. And I don't think either one of them is sufficient by itself. I think mm -hmm. if you had the acceptance, but you didn't have the understanding, you didn't have an awareness of what autism is actually like, you still might be doing all the wrong things. And if you had the understanding, but you didn't care, you didn't accept a person, it wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't achieve anything at all. So I think they're both essential. Hmm. I, I just don't see either one as being enough by itself. That's a good point about there needing to be both awareness and acceptance together. Scott, I, I wanna ask you now, what do you see as a difference between awareness and acceptance? And what do you think about both Liza's points and Jeremy's points in terms that, uh, you know, awareness is knowing about, you know, knowing about something, whereas acceptance is an attitude that shapes how you treat people. Yeah, good. Okay, here we go for the second season. Oh, my wisdom. I'd say when I, when I heard about awareness, I'm thinking of it, it's like a campaign where you educate. And I've been doing some research lately in terms of part, part of acceptance I'm thinking of is like uh, being on a team where there's also a movement within when people are getting improvements in their education or their vocational, they have individual employment plans or educational plans, IEPs, and a lot of them now are student-led, and it's show, showcasing that they're unique and that there are multiple parts to a team and, and even in scripture that there's no, the minor part, even if someone's just an extra or even if they're the main star, everyone has, has a uh, valuable role. And you just, main part of acceptance is bringing people on the team because, and also I'll conclude is that the problem a lot of people are doing, and Liza may have hinted at that with the neurotypical, is that sometimes people can be othered. So it's just bringing them onto the same team. They're all valuable, mm -hmm. that they have different skills, that they're focused on a given area. So those are just some initial wisdom from season two. That you make a good point, Scott, about acceptance being about having people be part of a team and recognizing and appreciating their unique contributions to whatever the team is, whether it's a family, the workplace, a classroom, or just life in general, it's important to to let people be part of the whole and appreciate the uniqueness about themselves that they bring to the, the part of the whole. So Jeremy, you touched on this a little bit. Um, and my next question is, which is more beneficial to autistic people? And, and your point, Jeremy, about there needing to be both awareness and acceptance to have a, a balanced view that's beneficial to autistic people is important. So I wanna dig into that a little bit. What happens when we don't have that, that balance where we don't have awareness and acceptance working together for the benefit of uh, autistic people? How do you see that? How do you see what that looks like? What does that look like when you know, people are, are fighting for one or the other but not putting the two of them together? Well, it may, it may well be that there are people who are saying one word and they mean both. So they might be saying they're talking about acceptance, but they're actually talking about both. So I wouldn't necessarily want to say that the approach of people who are pushing for acceptance or pushing for awareness is that they are really actually pushing for awareness and ignoring acceptance because they might actually be doing both. They're just using one word of the two. 
But if you really only did one of the two, if you really only did inform people of facts, people can learn all sorts of book knowledge. And that doesn't mean they're actually going to care about anything. So um, at the same time, I know there are people who, who care and want to help and want to do things that are, that are going to be useful and, and accepting of people, but they just don't know how to do that. So I really have a hard time ranking them. I think they're both essential. But uh, yeah, I've seen plenty of cases where one or the other is missing. There've been cases where they're both missing, and and uh, and it causes lots of problems. So I, I think it's very easy to mean well but not be very informed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy to be informed, but still nothing moves you to actually seek out and include and accept people. So. It's, it's hard for me to rank them. Mm -hmm. um, my question wasn't so much about ranking them as what are the consequences of not having them in balance, not having the two of them working together. And you, you pointed out that there can be people who have lots of knowledge, say about autism, but they are not at all moved to do anything that would be helpful to autistic people. And there may be people who want to do things that are helpful to autistic people, but they don't have the knowledge about what might actually be helpful to autistic people. And I think that part where people want to be helpful, but they don't know how is something that I see often um, when interacting in, uh, you know, in social media with people who are in advocacy groups they, you know, they wear their hearts on their sleeves. They really want to help autistic people, but they don't have a very clear understanding, it seems, of what would actually be beneficial to autistic people. In part because people seem to have a hard time listening to autistic people and, and including <sighs> what we, <laughs> yeah, I know, Liza, I knew, I knew that was going to get you, but listening to what autistic people actually have to say about their autistic lives and what would actually be helpful. So Liza, I, I know you're going to have a lot to say. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. When we have people who have a lot of knowledge, but are not at all moved towards using that knowledge to help people, and then people who desperately want to help but they don't have all the knowledge to be able to do that effectively. Let's talk about that a little bit. These people in question almost all being neurotypical, correct? Um, if I would, if I would want to, you know, put them in a in the categories of neurotypical or not neurotypical. But I think that the categories that are most important to me are, you know, wanting to help but not really knowing how and knowing how, but not really wanting to help. The reason I ask is because if they're, if they're not neurotypical, they have the experience of most of the time. I mean, uh, autism isn't the only neurodivergent condition, but it is one of the, the main ones. And the, the, th the thing being, if they aren't neurotypical, then they likely have an autistic experience to draw on rather than those who do not have those lived experiences. That's the only reason I asked. Mm. However, I agree that both are needed, but it's oftentimes people seem to, there are some people that seem to have the knowledge, but they don't use it properly. They use it, and I see this a lot with parents of autistic people they use it to elevate and help themselves rather than to elevate and help us. This is, I see one, I see as one of the reasons why there's such a major autistic presence of autistic, parents of autistic kids in the autism community because they are in essence usurping us and and trying to talk about 
their experiences and and I hate to use this this word, but it's applicable. Commiserating with each other as though we are these terrible people that have ruined their lives. And I mean, that's a stance that a lot of groups, I mean, if we're talking about things that allow parents to commiserate and we could have a whole discussion on this, we can talk about Autism Speaks, which basically ran an ad comparing us to disease, divorce, everything that they could think of was negative to have the parents see, oh, our lives are terrible. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And we are strong for being able to do this. And that's not what the, the space in the autism community is meant for. It is, parents can be there, but it's not meant for them. They have neurotypical spaces. They have their own spaces. But when they try to usurp autism advocacy groups and then don't actually advocate for us and instead push their views of us as incapable, infantilized, all of these things. And I saw this recently with, a woman who is actually quite active in one of the groups I'm in, who talks about her daughter in ways that are just assuming incapability, assuming that everything is terrible for her and, and praising herself on being able to do this rather than making any meaningful change. They have the information. They know these facts. I, I think- you, But you Theta, sorry, I muted, I muted. I accidentally oh. muted before I was done. Um, but they, they have these facts. They know them, but they're using it in the wrong way. They're, use, they're not using it to help us. They're using it to elevate themselves. In the same way, there are people that don't have the facts but care and they aren't the ones usurping aren't usurping us in our spaces. I, at least personally, prefer those who care but don't have the facts because we can give them the facts and they're actually willing to help. Like if someone supports Autism Speaks without even having any idea and not, not a dedicated Autism Speaks person, but just someone who doesn't know any difference and would be willing to shift their dollars into someplace, someplace like ASAN, Autism Self-Advocacy Network, but they just didn't have the knowledge, they're actually more able to change and more potentially able to help us in the future and, and be part of our cause and part of our community than the people who do know, the people who do have this knowledge and choose to weaponize it against us and use it to inflate themselves. Um, and I know that I know that may sound harsh to a lot of people, but as anyone who listens to this show knows, I I'm not gonna you, you don't it, sugarcoat anything. Yeah. <laughs> but um you you make a very good point in distinguishing between um groups or situations where parents can commiserate with each other about. Um, how challenging parenting is, because guess what? Whether your kids are neurodiverse or neurotypical, parenting is hard. And you are That's going to, and it is, it, it is a good strategy for parents, for caregivers, to talk to other caregivers who've been there, who've done that, who might be going through the same thing you are, so that you all can sub help support each other and, and you can go back from your support group back into the place where you need to give your A game, having done the work for you to actually have an A game. And that's different from a group, a space where you're going to engage in advocacy. And I don't think people always make a distinction between those two. Yep. You, you can certainly do, you know, advocacy can certainly come out of a support group, 
but the 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 support group the caregiver support group is primarily about the caregivers and helping caregivers um, get themselves to a place where they can actually engage in caregiving appropriately advocacy is is something different advocacy as you pointed out liza is something where we are looking at autistic people and saying oh this is what they need or we're listening to autistic people whether they are verbal or nonverbal that's a yes. thing <laughs> listening to nonverbal communication and uh, and working to understand it is an actual thing and yes. advocacy is listening and learning what those needs are and then taking the steps to make sure that those needs are adequately met. And that works best when you, when you do have that balance between awareness and acceptance. But it's easier to, for someone who, it's easier to give someone awareness who already has acceptance mm -hmm. and to give someone acceptance and to, to get someone to accept who already has awareness. Yeah. That I want to tap in, I want to tap into you because you've been a little bit quiet over there. What do you think about um, you know the differences between awareness and acceptance and how you can move someone from a place of only having one to integrating both and then this distinction between um, advocacy and caregiver support. <laughs> so I'm up next? Yes. Okay. Uh, question two and the multiple choice. Let's see. <laughs> the uh, awareness and acceptance, as I, I mentioned before, awareness is the educational piece and acceptance is the boots on the ground. And but then when you're advocating, you're you're really on, on the on the boots on the ground, but then when you're educating, you could do that with others too. So the whole overarching word is is the community. Mm. And because you need both, because uh, for the community, you could have an autistic individual or someone representing education to teach the group and then as you're doing that or even in the caregiving there could be a educational piece so th they really go hand in hand if you do that and integrate it well and at the same time you're giving them the support then you're giving them the tools for advocacy so i i don't i think it all goes together it's a mm -hmm. quilt so that, those are my thoughts. Yeah. One thing I will say, do not have someone who is, who is neurotypical teach the group about autistic experiences. I just want to clarify that there because that is something, I know that's not what you meant, Scott, but that's something a lot of people could, could potentially have taken from that because they don't have the lived experiences needed to teach the group about, about uh, the life of an autistic person. I think, living, I think living with autistic people gives a, a certain perspective, an important perspective about what autism is. It's it's like the way that it's the way that scientists observe the world. They aren't actually bacteria, but they can observe the bacteria and learn a lot about the the lifestyle. Well, Bacteria. I don't know if bacteria have lifestyles, but yeah. certainly the life cycle of bacteria and, and the situations where they thrive <laughs> and the situations where they don't. So again, this is another one of those things where it's important to have both perspectives, the perspective yep. of people who are living with and interacting with autistic people in intimate settings. And for a long time, that was my, that was my uh, perspective and my experience because yeah. I didn't know I was autistic. So I was just, you know, thinking I was neurotypical mom, observing her neurodivergent children and trying to understand what their experiences are like based on my observations. Yep, my, my only, and that, 
that's exactly what I meant. Don't put a neurotypical person in the position to teach about artistic experiences if you don't first have an autistic person there to teach as well. Not don't ever, but don't have someone teaching about our lived experiences before you have us in, is all I'm saying. And Scott, I, I like the imagery that you used of building community and also that quilt. I, yeah, I, I've dabbled in quilting a bit and it's a lot more interesting and a lot more fun when you have the different fabrics and the different shapes and the different textures and you put them together in a way that makes something beautiful that's you know, greater than, than the single, the individual parts. And I think that is, that's a, that's a good analogy for what we need to do in terms of awareness and acceptance in terms of caregiver support and advocacy, and in terms of understanding autism from the autistic perspective, and also from the perspective of people who are in intimate relationships with people who are autistic. We have to put all of those things together to really have a clear picture of what the heck is going on. Um, because I don't know if y'all noticed, but human beings were a little bit complicated. Yeah. Just a little bit. Recipe. It's like <laughs> when you put the eggs and the flour and all that. I, I recently made muffins and it's a little awkward. You have to have the dry stuff, then, then the wet stuff, and then they all go together. Then you mix them up and put them in. And then you get a lot of likes when you show, showcase them on <laughs> Facebook. So it's, and then you eat them for a couple of weeks. So it's, it's, well, a couple of weeks. Uh, if I put in the fridge. How many muffins did you even make? I just made 12, that's all. Yeah, in our house, that's gone in under an hour. <laughs> no, not even that long, under an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jeremy, you've been quiet. So I wanna, I wanna pull you back into the conversation and comment about this idea of the building, the community or the quilt where you have to have all of the pieces together Otherwise, you get an incomplete picture of what's going on. Well, yeah, I mean, that's something that if I had more time and were able to write some more academic publications than I have time for, uh, I'd, be, I'd be doing a lot of work on right now, actually. It's a, it's a big interest of mine. Uh, there's... Um, kind of a, 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 it's kind of trendy right now to, uh, to learn from the experiences of people who are experiencing something. And uh, we're, we're starting to recognize the importance of that. And that is very, very good because we've often ignored that. Uh, at the same time, I don't think, I mean, we're all human we're all limited in our understanding of things and we're all limited by our perspective. And so, um, I mean, is it true that um, I have no business teaching a class on race because I'm a white male, uh, even though I am a certified expert on that topic. I wrote a PhD dissertation on it. I have a published book on it. I live in an interracial family and I have a lot of experiences that very many white people do not have, right? So it's, it's um, we certainly, there's something to be learned and we all ought to learn from people who have experiences that are very different from ours. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that I think can go both ways. So uh, what, what is it that someone who has autism can learn from parents who have raised people with autism, right? I, is, is there nothing there that could be learned, right? It's a different perspective on things. There are things to learn there. And are there things that people who have disabilities can learn from people who don't? It's right that I think it can go both ways. Now, obviously there are, when you have any kind of power relationship and you've got people who are sort of dominating, 
obviously going to have more ways that the people who are less empowered, less able to speak for themselves are, are going to have where they get stuff that the rest of them don't. Right. And that's going to happen on any, in any relationship like that. But I also see this tendency to push it too far where, um, because someone has a view, they're infallible because they're a certain category and no one else can have a view. No one else can have a perspective. And I really think we, we need to be careful and, and not get to that point. So there, there are things that I know as a white male that non-white males don't know. For example, what is it that white people say around themselves when they don't have other people around? Well, only white people know that, right? <laughs> so, I mean, not it's, only it's, that, what is it? Not only that, what is it the white men say? Right. There are no women and no, and no non-white people around. Right, right. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to know what all white men say when they're around certain people, right? Because they might not say it around me. But even so, there's, there's, uh, there's some level of experience that we don't have because we have the experience we do have. And, and the point here is it's about experience. It's not some absolute thing because of a category you belong to. Not all autistic people are the same. Not all black people are the same. Not all white people are the same. Not all women are the same and so on, right? I, once we recognize that, I, I think it becomes very hard to think there is the black experience. There is the male experience. There is the autistic experience. And so we, we have to realize it's much more complex than that. The, the complicating factors that, that, that there are for, for all of our experiences uh, are perhaps even more definitive than the category ones in, in many of our cases. So uh, I, I, would, I would say we all should listen to each other. We all should make room for hearing each other. And it may well be that there's people who are going to say stuff and we just realize they don't get it they don't have the experiences they need to understand it and they're not listening to the people who do and that's a problem so what they need to do is be able to hear other people and that's a very important thing but at the same time there are other sides to it as well and i and i think um i mean I, one of the examples that came up earlier is a nice illustration of this the the um the the, the support group is needed right and that's something that the parents are going to know. The advocacy, advocacy place for people with disabilities is needed. And that's something that they're likely to be the ones who spot, you know, when you're, when you're commiserating, you're not doing that, right? Yeah. The parents aren't going to see that that's what they're doing because of their, where they are and what they're, what's, what's in front of them, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's not, I mean, it's not, there's also, there's, they have needs as well to advocate for. So there, there's some support that comes that's disability related, that's directly of benefit to the people with disabilities. And there's some support that needs to come that's more directly toward the caregivers, right? And so- That also benefits with people I with agree. disabilities. I agree, yeah, I just That think benefits there's... everyone. <laughs> that benefits I agree. everyone. I, just, right? I agree, so, I just think there's a different place for that. Oh, I know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying yeah. though is, the reason they confuse the advocacy that you're wanting with the with the things they're talking about is because they're trying to advocate. Yep. They're just not advocating for the same thing, right? Yep. And 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 it's because of their more limited perspective, they're seeing it from their perspective, what their needs are, that they're not picking up on here's this other need for a space for advocacy. Yeah. And I'm invading that, right? They're not seeing it that way because of their limited perspective. And so we all need to include each other's perspectives. We all need to understand each other. And that, that, that would be a major theme of my research if I had the time to do that. Right now, I'm not in a position <laughs> to, to be writing a whole lot because I'm teaching so much. But, but the, the, uh, in addition to caring for a complex family. But the, the, um, that, would be a, that would be the major theme that I would be trying to, 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 to do some, some work thinking through. Uh, because I think the major emphasis right now, there's a big emphasis on this right now, is favor the voices of those who have been marginalized. And that's, there's something to that. There's something very important to that. And we, I don't want to diminish that. 
but I think it can be absolutized in a way that I think can be harmful yeah. and, and can can lose sight of real information that people in in who are, who are not marginalized <laughs> or not as marginalized are not marginalized in the same ways might have to bring to the table and and conversations need to be two-way they can't Agreed. be just all of these people need to listen to what all of these people have to say and that's it I, I think I think we miss information when that happens, and and missing information leads to misinformation, mm. right? <laughs> yes. So, I, yeah, it's, it, I, it's like this, I like this theme where we are again calling attention to the fact that we need balance and we need to include a diversity, a variety of voices in order to have a clear picture. Mm so that we can make decisions that are beneficial to the different parts of the whole. And that's actually a theme that, that's come up uh, uh, quite often in a lot of the other podcasts that I work on, because you know I'm a podcasting ad addict now, I can't stop myself. <laughs> that the, the need to one, to listen to a variety of voices on a topic, the, the need to, integrate those different voices so that you have a clearer picture of what the heck is going on because ta-da, people are complicated and we have complicated needs, whether we have a disability or not. You were gonna say something, Liza? Um, just that I think that what was brought up is, in, is incredibly important that a lot of the things that we talk about often come down to power relations. Those who have power do not necessarily realize the power that they have and how yes. that yes. necessarily <laughs> um, you know, blocks other people. I mean, if we think about it, I, I'm in an anthropology class right now and we're reading an ethnography by anthropologist, uh, anthropology student, Scott Holmes, who dealt with migrants and farm workers from uh, Oaxaca in Mexico, Oaxaca in Mexico. And we were talking about the ways in which his embodiment, i.e. the way he interacted with the world, affected, necessarily affected the way he was living there. And there were all these signifiers that he could not remove he was a a white man he was a white man that obviously had some sort of money he was a student he was just all these ways in which regardless of whether he wanted to or not he had these differences from the tricky uh, the the native uh Oaxacan people he was working with and observing and whether he wanted to or not he had a different level of power than they did and even if he wanted to be treated the same way as they were he could not because people treated him differently based on these aspects of embodiment that showed that he was different mm -hmm. and this all comes down to power relations and whether or not people want to act as though they are more powerful than we are, or whether they want to shut us out of the conversation, it takes work if you're in a position of power to subvert those things that happen automatically, to keep your voice from necessarily being elevated when, you, when you're in a position of power and to use that power to, to elevate those who are not as powerful and who are marginalized. In this case, autistic individuals because they are less accepted by society and less given less ability and less power and less representation by society in and of itself. So it takes effort there. And it all come, a lot of it does, yeah, come down to power dynamics, marginalization, all of that. 
I, yeah, that that the the need to be aware of the power dynamics uh, in your interactions with people is that's important to 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 be aware of that because each of us has you know there are situations there are relationships where whether we think of it that way or not each of us is is the person in the position of power in a given situation or or a given relationship and it's it's extremely important for us to be aware of that so that we don't abuse that position and abuse that power because you know again we're human we do stuff like that all the time we see people in a position of authority or a position of power abusing their authority abusing their power all the time and i think um you know it's a I know for me, it's a, as a parent, it's a big worry. The, the concern, the, the worry that I may at some point abuse the authority that I have as a parent. Um, and I think that's something that keeps a lot of parents awake at night. That may be something behind the, you know, behind what parents are doing when they get together in an advocacy group and end up trying to, turning it into a, a, a caregiver support group. Because yep. there is that fear that we have that we might get it wrong. Um, that fear that we, we, we're not doing the right things for our children. <laughs> and, you know, when you're a parent, and especially when you're parenting people with disabilities, you need a lot of, you know, you, you're not a complete screw up. You, you're, you're doing the best you can. It's not easy. You know, the experts don't know what they're doing either. So you're, you're kind of ahead of the game. And there, there's definitely the need for, for that kind of support for caregivers. But it's, you know, again, caregivers, we have to be aware of that, that power dynamic so that we don't abuse that power. And um, self-advocates, we need to be aware of, I, I, I stand in this, this very interesting position where I'm a self-advocate and I'm a parent. Yeah. So, Self-advocates need to be aware of the power dynamic and be aware of the situations where they are the authority, they are the one in power, and not abuse that, just like any it, other person. I think a lot of it is don't try to do that support for parents under the guise of supporting us, because then you end up taking our spaces that we need away from us and giving it to yourselves. There's definitely a space for it, but don't make, don't disguise it either intentionally or unintentionally as help for an advocacy for us when it's advocating for parents yourselves and make your own space for that. Don't usurp us in ours because we need our spaces for advocacy just as much as you do. And you're often allowed to do this where we might not be able to usurp your spaces in a similar way because you're in that position of power. Oh, I just wanna, Go ahead, Scott. Uh, I'm thinking of the word interdependence. Mm -hmm. I yes. bet what you're saying, Sam and Eliza and Jeremy, but I think if you're taking interdependence, linking hands, or I know the image of the puzzle might be troubling for some, but I, I love puzzles. Uh, just just to, to put it that way, uh, for those who don't know, puzzle piece, the puzzle piece is often connected to Autism Speaks, which we've spoken in other episodes about why exactly that is problematic. But for anyone who doesn't know, that is why, and I'm sure if need be, we can link to an episode in which we have discussed why exactly autism speaks yeah. is problematic, but and that's what Scott is referring to yeah. here. I would just- I, I just wanna say, Scott, I appreciate you making that distinction <laughs> as to why you like the puzzle piece, because it does speak to that interdependence. And we, and that is the very nature of human existence. We are yes. we depend on each other. We need each other in order to to like be normal, 
quote unquote, to enable to, to enable to be able to function. And we've seen just how bad it is for humanity when we are in isolation. Despite the fact that it's our human tendency, oddly enough, even though it's a, a fact of humanity to need that dependence, it's also a human tendency to reject those who are in a group that is not your own. Mm. So uh, we could talk at length about this, but this isn't exactly a psychology podcast. <laughs> but like, how hey, disabled people have, you know, we got to do the psychology thing too. So sure, why not? <laughs> yes. Um, Scott, you were going to say something else? No, I, I was mainly just saying about the interdependence and linking hands and then Sam and Eliza kind of flesh it out some more. But then you're talking about the awareness, it's the acceptance. I've just been, just in the last couple hours, been just thinking about that also when I was talking to my mom today. She shared, and when I was little, because of my being sensitive to the world, they had to put me under on the floor when we were going underneath an underpass. And also my not developing my language until the age of five. A lot and, and my mom and dad, when they when they uh, had me in the world and doctors didn't know what to do with me, and then and it's very complicated for people in your situations when they don't communicate and not knowing of how to. Back then, there wasn't as much knowledge. Now there's more knowledge. But the whole idea of people coming into the world into their own, into their own understanding, it can be very complicated. And it's just something you know, we have to work through. And that's why these discussions and these podcasts and these support groups are so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Um even in my writing group, we just talk, we write, but then we spend half the time talking about our experiences. So it's sort of like a support group, but it, it's through the love. Something, that's something that I think is important to mention. Support groups don't need to be exclusively support. They just need to be made up of a particular population and the support will come naturally as we discuss our experiences and as we, as we just talk. That's what sometimes the base of humanity is just like we, the, base of, the basic psychology is to potentially reject people who are not of a group similar to you. When you are with people who are from your group, tendency is, can often be to support them and to really discuss your similar experiences and show that you're similar and, and support each other. So I think that it's important to note that support groups don't need to be strictly support groups. Mm -hmm. They can be any group that is made up of a particular population and the support will just come naturally. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things that I, I, I'm going to mention is that being a caregiver and also being an autistic self-advocate it is wild being in some of these groups because yes, I understand the frustrations of, of caregiving, but no, you can't say that. It's not okay. And that is why I call you in so often <laughs> because you have both of these experiences yeah. and they're more likely to listen to you than they are to listen to me. As a side note, Scott, um, when you were talking about spending half the time talking rather than writing, uh, that's the entirety of life as in a Jewish community. You know, we love to schmooze, so. <laughs> um, what was that reference? Uh, is that, that's just what you do when you, I didn't get that Jewish word. Oh, schmooze, it's uh, oh, basically. I know, I know schmooze, I know schmooze, talking, it's, yeah. It's not, that's not the way it's pronounced. <laughs> It's not it, smooth it, it or smooth. To Brooklyn to get it. I guess, yeah, fair enough. But I just want to make sure you're not thinking of a different word. Either way, yeah, this discussion is spending 50% of the time talking rather than doing what the group is for. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, but that's the nature of our group. That's why we, we just. Yes, yes. And that's what I'm saying that even if it's not a support group, support and discussion 
will come natural yeah, in that, it naturally evolves as people share their experiences. Exactly. And someone else pops up and said, oh, I had the same experience. And this is what I found helpful. Yep. And I think that's that's really the the strength of support groups. People share their experiences and you you connect with other people who have, who have had similar experiences. And that's also the strength of human psychology. We want to relate experiences back to those that we have had. And this is well, this is especially for true for artistic people who people think may be doing it insensitively. Basically, when someone says something saying, oh, I had a similar experience, such and such, directing it back to themselves when that is really not the intention. The intention there is to do exactly what Sam was saying and, <coughs> and support. <coughs> the intention there the intention there is to do exactly what Sam was saying and support the other people in the group and those who have had the same experiences rather than intending to direct it, it, direct it back to us. I think that's a common misunderstanding with that, but, but that's the basis of human psychology to relate it back to experiences we've had so that we can understand it. And we are just about out of time for this conversation about autism awareness and autism expecting. Ugh. Okay, yeah, you know, you know I'm having, my brain's been going all day and it's ready to stop. But yeah, we can cut out that little bit. Autism awareness and autism acceptance and what that means for autistic people. Now, thank you for joining us for the first episode of season two of Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability. This season, we are bringing you a whole set of, of new topics and, and new um, perspectives on those topics. We're talking about identity first language. We're talking about the experiences of autistic women. We are talking about resilience and inclusion in our faith communities and a whole host of other topics that are important to people with disabilities. So I hope you join us for our subsequent episodes. And if you have any suggestions for any up for any topic you want to hear us talk about, feel free to send us an email at connect at sanchia.org. That's connect at s-a-n-c-h-i-a.org with your suggestions for topics that we can cover on the podcast. Again, this is Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things related to disabilities here on Straight Independent Radio. We are sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and sanchia.org. Check us out on the web to learn about all the great things we do with people with developmental disabilities. Thank you for joining us and we will have the next conversation next episode.